Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. At Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, we recognise that you're not just one kind of writer. Perhaps you're banging out a novel between copywriting gigs, or maybe you're a blogger with a sideline in poetry. Whatever type or types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you the shot of inspiration you need to finish that novel, submit that thesis or launch that freelance career. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to journalist, editor, and copywriter Shannon Denny, who's carved out a successful career writing for tech firms around her passion for surfing. In our chat, she shared her tips for delighting your clients while living the beach bum dream. That's coming right up. Shannon Denny, you are a freelance journalist, editor, and copywriter. Can you start by giving me a flavour of the sorts of things you write, the topics you write about, and the kind of clients you work for? Sure, of course. I mainly work for technology clients, doing copywriting, helping them sort of make sense of really complicated technical subject matter. Um, A lot of the times I feel like I digest what's the super complicated technical talk that they give to me and I translate that into something that anybody would be interested in and more importantly anybody can understand. And who's that writing mostly aimed at? Um, So it'll be corporate clients. So the technology companies are trying to come up with new products all the time Um, and even though they're selling to a pretty savvy audience um, they're usually a couple steps ahead of their clients. So um, yeah they're they're trying to produce materials that their clients will read and then feel motivated to um, buy from the technology company. So you talked about turning that really dense technical stuff into something that's readable. What what are the, the challenges around that? First of all, my clients usually write with themselves in the middle mm-hmm. and they really need to um, communicate in a way that puts their clients in the center of um, the story. So that's a big stumbling block. Um, the other thing is they're techie people. Like they use tons of acronyms. They use a million words when they should use five. They love pseudo scientific speak speech. They love pseudo academic speech. And so it's taking all of that gobbledygook and turning it into something that sounds like the way you and I talk, you know, and, and they could probably do it um, if they had enough time. It's my clients are really smart people, but uh, you know, they often don't, they're too busy out making money. So um, is there a sense in which being an outsider, that's precisely what you bring to the table the ability to, to see that this is not quite right for the audience that they're intending it yeah, for sure. Like being an outsider is a benefit and then also being a little bit dumb. Like the less I understand about their subject matter, that's, uh, the better. It's not at all a liability that I'm not a technical person myself. Like um, I need to be able to understand it, but um, I almost try not to internalize it, if that makes sense. Um, I want to be using layman's terms all the time. So the fact that I'm a layman gives me an advantage. So someone sends you a piece. What's the first thing you do with it? So it sounds really crazy, but um, a lot of what I see my job to be is to cleanse. So I try and scrub out all the stuff that doesn't make sense or is just messy. So um, it's a lot of just cutting, deleting. Um, This sounds ridiculous, but a piece of that process is to like just standardize the font, make the line spacing consistent. Like I just want a clean document that I can start working from. 
the content is already really messy, so I try and get the page looking as clean as mm-hmm. I can as a first step. Almost the psychological yeah. need to have that clean page. Yeah, it's the equivalent of like when you sit down to write a paper um, for school. Back in the day, you would sharpen your pencil, get a new notebook, mm-hmm. like everything, tidy your desk. So it's exactly the same. And when you inherit somebody else's junk, I think it's even more important to start off um, with kind of a cleansing attitude. Mm-hmm. And do you ever get a piece of pushback that... I know I've had, and I know a lot of copywriters have had, and I know a lot of marketers that I've worked with have, which is that the subject matter expert will say, we're dimming down. The The reader will understand that. Do you ever get that as a, as a piece of feedback when you've simplified something? Mm, I guess. I mean, I definitely get pushback. Um, but the way that I always, always try, and with no matter what kind of pushback it is, like I just try and be the nicest person I can. And never be defensive. Like I, I think the worst thing you can have is an ego when you're doing the job that we do. Like you just really have to table it and be like, first, I always say, Oh my God, that's a really good point. And then I try and get my point across anyways, you know, like, um, my thinking is there's a million people who can do my job, probably more than that. And there's a lot of people who would do it for cheaper. So I try and do the best job that I can, but I, the value add that I want to bring is that I'm a super nice person. And I, I want to make people's lives easier and nicer. And I think that's something that a copywriter can certainly do is make people's lives easier. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like I say, like my clients could do what I do. Like they just don't have the time. It would probably take them longer to do what I do, but ultimately they're really brilliant people. Um, I, I definitely think that what I'm there for, the, the role that I fulfill for them is to make, you know, just take their pain away. And any time that I contribute to their pain, I know I'm doing a bad job. So if they give me pushback, I think, okay, I don't want to, like, break their stride, you know? Like, I think, okay, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm also going to keep making my point. And what sort of things are you producing? Is it blog posts? Is it technical manuals? Or Yeah, I mean, um, it's some blog po- It's mostly public-facing, face- so it wouldn't be technical manuals. Um, it's a lot of marketing stuff. So definitely blog posts, um, case studies, white papers articles for their own use, but then I'll ghostwrite articles that appear in like the trade um, press. I've done scripts. A lot of times they'll do events and they'll have massive, massive PowerPoint decks that kind of need standardizing. I'll go through and spot mistakes in those. Um, They also produce books that go along, booklets that go along with events, both before and after. So um, that's really handy for their end clients because at these events, the idea is for the end clients to have like an amazing time and maybe have a few drinks. They probably forget most of what's said during these six hours of presentation. So um, having some print collateral to help jog their memory and overcome their hangovers is um, a good thing. Nothing like reading a little bit of marketing collateral when mm, you've got a hangover. Mm, 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 mm. I mean, it's I'm always thinking about the other guy. <laughs> um, now, you worked for many years in London, which will have a big presence for the tech industry. I don't know if you work internationally as well. Do you work with people in Silicon Valley? Um, I, I have clients in... in the Middle East and in the Nordics and in Europe and in the States, yeah. And you're doing all this from a village in Devon in the southwest of England. That is true. Um, so can you tell me um, how that, how you manage that process? What, what are the challenges and benefits of, of working remotely with your clients? How do you overcome the, the communication 
barriers? Um, so I think that's a really good question, and I probably should have thought that through myself before I moved. But having said that, <laughs> I have no regrets about having moved. Um, I think there's a huge advantage if you work in technology to working remotely. Everybody is working remotely, and I think um, technology companies really need to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. I mean, they're selling stuff to make it possible for people to do things remotely. If the people they're employing aren't able to do stuff remotely, they're not doing their jobs right. So um, I'm really lucky in the fact that I've wound up in this sort of tech sector. Um, Also, having clients who are dotted all over the world is, you know, they're five hours behind or ahead or whatever. So um, it really works for my lifestyle. Um, I can be working at 11 or I can be working at seven and I can be, you know, um, able to have phone calls with people um, no matter where they are. So it's that being remote has really not been too much of an issue um, for me. I think it definitely helped that I had the business for a few years before I moved. Um, I wouldn't want to be out trying to pitch to people and meet them for the first time and have to travel five hours to do it. Um, when I do have to work abroad, it's like I have to add in an extra day. Like London was obviously amazing because you have five airports you can get to and you don't even have to plan ahead. Whereas when you're in Devon, you definitely have to plan ahead and stay in a hotel before you can get on the plane at Heathrow. So that's kind of a pain. But um, I actually, when I do get gigs abroad, I definitely view it as a um, as a bonus because I travel probably less abroad now that I'm in Devon than I did when I was in London. So. It's a great excuse to get up to London and get on a plane. Yeah, yeah, and then get paid. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so can you talk about, you mentioned, you know, they're obviously very tech savvy. Can you mention some of the technologies that you do use to manage those relationships? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, um, so I use Google Docs all the time, and I love it. And there's different platforms you can use, but I just, it, it is I'm old enough that I remember when you had to send attachments and have like a million versions um, and just having a live document that everybody can like dive into is incredible. And I use all the features that it offers, you know, um, I love it. So definitely I use that um, video conferencing, you know, Skype or Hangouts or anything you want to use. Like it's amazing as long as your network is strong enough. Um, ours isn't always strong enough in Devon, but that's another story. Um, well, I live in central London. Whenever I get on a Skype call, trains pass by my flat every five minutes. And whenever a train passes by the flat, that cuts the connection. So oh, actually the idea of what? being in the middle of the country sounds <laughs> quite good. Yeah, all right, fine, fair enough. I did not know, all right. Um, yeah, so I use those two. I can't think of any others that, um, that come to mind. I definitely depend on those, so I'll leave it at the... At that. And um, you mentioned you wouldn't like to be maybe going out and finding new clients having already made the move. How, how do you promote your business and keep the business bubbling over when you're not in the thick of things? So when I first started out, I felt like I needed to go out and pitch for work. And I realized I'm terrible at it. It's just not my skill set. I'm not good at putting myself out there. Like I said, I don't have like a huge ego. So it's it's hard for me to do that. Um, and I felt like a lot of times it was a waste of time, like having coffee with people who would never call me again. Um, so I've kind of taken a different track. I've got into a couple of companies where I tried to establish a reputation and technology companies share something in common. And that is that people 
progress and they get to work on different products and then they go to different geographical regions and then they maybe switch teams. So they go from you know marketing to sales and they go from sales to development. So my strategy is whenever I work for somebody at any of the companies I work for, I try and make them take me with them wherever they go. And I don't do it overtly. I don't say like, oh my gosh, please give me more work. Um, although maybe I should. I just try and do the best job that I can. And it's worked out pretty good for me because, um, pretty well for me because they, I'm always getting referred to other people in the company. When people do move, um, you know, from one region to another, they, they keep calling me. So um, it's sort of a backward strategy maybe, but it, it's one that works for me. <laughs> just be consistently great to work with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might not say that's what I do but I, that's my aim and um what was it that prompted you to make that leap from living in London to a small village on the coast of England yes that is a good question um I love London um and I always did my husband does too and we didn't leave it because we were kind of disgruntled I feel like a lot of people do they get to a point where they're like I hate it we, so you're not tired of London and tired of life? Not at all. Still breathing and loving London. We um, started surfing a number of years ago and started spending more and more time at the coast. Um, and we divided our time between central London and a tiny caravan on the coast. And one day I was um, in this village where we now live, driving our camper van down a tiny narrow lane. And... I got really stressed out because I'm not a great driver and our van is gigantic and the lane was very small. I saw a sign that said um, for sale and I pulled into the driveway because I was like, I just need a break from this stressful drive. And I got out and walked around and the house was kind of amazing. And we ended up buying that house like through a very long story. So um, love at first sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like mania probably mixed in. So um, yeah. I wish I could tell you that there was some kind of intelligent premeditation to our move, but there wasn't. I'm just a bad driver. Seems to have worked out pretty good there. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for your support. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me um, how that has changed things? And, and maybe talk about, you know, how that's changed things on a sort of day-to-day level. What, what did a typical day look like when you were living in London? And what does a typical day look like now? Yeah, you know what? It was easier to do my job in London because everybody's working and people are grafters. Like if you live in a city, everybody's working. They wake up, they go do stuff. And even if they're not working for money, they're doing stuff. They're, they've got 10 spin classes they're trying to fit in this week and they're in an amateur play. Um, the vibe at the coast is the opposite. Everyone wants to be on vacation and that's why they moved there. And um even so everybody who has a job there tries to find one that's flexible so the plumbers are there because it's flexible and they can surf and the builders are there for the same reason the teachers the doctors everybody it makes it so much harder to buckle down and do your job because you look out the window and people are riding their bikes and I don't know cavorting among the wildflowers so buckling down and focusing is a million times harder it's it's just extremely distracting compared to how it was in London. But there must be some upside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can manage to get your work done, there's definitely an upside. Um, and yeah, it's just a constant kind of movable feast, figuring out how to buckle down and be a professional in this environment of a bunch of slackers. 
Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, do remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. What does a typical day look like for you, if that's even possible? Yeah, the day starts the night before, and I look at the surf forecast, and I check about 50 million websites um, that tell me what the wind is like, and the swell, and the sun, and everything. And then I decide when I'm going to fit in my surf, or maybe maybe I won't surf the next day um, based on what I see. And then I make a list of everything that I want to get done, and I include I put surfing on that list, like it's... A critical point in my Gantt chart. Um, and then the next day um, I'll wake up and usually I surf in the morning if I can because that's when the conditions are the best. If there's no surf to be had, like I have developed kind of a very um, stringent regime to make sure that I don't slack. And that is I always, as soon as I wake up, I get up and I make the bed, and then I put clothes on. Because I find as a freelancer, if you don't, if you don't make your bed, then you're, you're not really, you're still asleep somehow. Like psychologically, I'm still asleep. And if I sit in bed and I think, oh, I'll just look at a couple emails in bed, terrible idea. Before you know it, it's 2 p.m. And you've broken that boundary between work and relaxation exactly the bed becomes an office and therefore it's no longer as relaxing as it yes you just articulated it perfectly i'd never thought about that before but yes that is that must be what i'm doing um and then i think you know you have to put your clothes on if you wear sweatpants and you have to talk to someone on the phone i think you come across as slouchy i really do like i think you have to get dressed scrubbed up um people where i live dress really casually but I try and like dress like a professional even if I'm just going to be sitting at home and literally don't talk to a soul all day um and then I try and do like the I have certain tasks that I do in the morning because I'm my brain just works better in the morning that's the way I'm wired um there's so if I'm kind of like doing um like actual writing not just admin actual writing I'll do that in the morning then I make lunch and then in the afternoon I do things that don't require as much brain space which is like that cleansing exercise where I take um gobbledygook for my client and try and scrub it up so it makes some modicum of sense um and I'll, I'll do like my correspondence and stuff like that and I shouldn't say this but I definitely don't work 40 hours a week like I, I'm I'm kind of done by the afternoon because by that point I'm super stupid and it's best for me not to be trying to do things that require intelligence. So, well, I think when you're working on your own as well, you're not being constantly distracted. So you tend to work in a much more intensive way anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So you probably get just as much done as if you were working for 40 hours a week in an office. Mm. I did have like a really fun experience um, in December that totally agrees with what you're saying. Um, So I worked in an office for three weeks and it was in Leicester Square and it was awesome. I did like rewrote website copy for this company, this technology company and worked with the designer so he could... um, create a new interface and it was so fun and collaborative but it was 
fascinating to be in an office because I was like, I could not believe that in the whatever 10 plus years since I've worked in an office, nothing had changed. Like, and this is not to diss. Like, I totally enjoyed it. But the crummy lighting was the same. The hot desking was the same. Like, the inappropriate touching by the doorman was the same. Like, it was just, it was unreal. Like, all the office politics were the same. And um, there was a fire drill and somebody burned their toast and we all had to go stand on the pavement and then go to the pub for like two hours. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was So like, and I thought the project would take a lot longer than it did by the same token. There was so much wasted time Mm -hmm. betwixt and between. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Really fun. I think sometimes it's quite good to do those little stints in an office to kind of keep you office fit and also to maybe remind you why you don't do it. Yeah, totally. Loved it. Loved it. Like had fancy coffee every day, but also was like, oh, I, yeah, I don't. There's a lot of this that I don't need. The Secret Santa stuff, I'm good without that. It was fun. So one of the things you didn't mention, actually there were a couple of things that you didn't mention in your day. Yeah. Um, you you talked about how you like to have that separation between the morning and the work, between bed yeah. in the morning and work. How do you get the same separation at the end of the day? Well, since I end my day at about 2 p.m., if, I, if I'm successful, um, I don't have a lot of trouble. But yeah, I just definitely try not to work too late at night. I know some people are night owls. I am not. And if I try and start something at night, like my brain naturally starts winding down like pretty early in the afternoon. In order to do stuff late at night, I have to get a lot of brain momentum going. I don't know. That, that sounds crazy. But um. It's hard for me then to fall asleep. So I just I just don't work at night. And I don't really work in the late afternoon if, if I can help it. You also mentioned you check the surfing forecasts. Yeah. Uh, does that mean that you will be going surfing in the afternoon? So it just depends. Like the I would surf in the afternoon if the conditions were better than, than in the morning. But my preference would be to surf in the morning because the conditions tend to be better. For my work, it's better to surf in the afternoon because I need my brain to be firing in the morning. But um, yeah, that's been a challenge, actually. Like when I lived in London, um, I would work really crazily hard here because I couldn't surf. And then when I went to the coast, I would just surf or we would, you know, kind of prioritize that and we wouldn't look at our laptops. So trying to do them both, like you're totally astute, like it's hard to balance it. And it's Surfing is stupid because it changes all the time. Like nature is screwing you basically (laughs) on a daily basis, breaking your heart. So um, it's hard to get like a consistent routine, but I mean, it's worth it. You've also written about surfing. What advice would you give to someone who they had a hobby or a passion project or something and they wanted to make some income from that? It's what we all call a side hustle. Um, How do you you persuade a surfing magazine or a surfing company that your experience in writing for tech firms can be applied equally? So, like, back in the day, I did do journalism. So I just pitched um, to a company that specializes in um, surfing magazines and books. And, um, I mean, that wasn't a very difficult process for whatever reason um I guess I was working in the world of journalism so I was really dialed into how to pitch and um and managed to get some gigs can you maybe give some tips on pitching um yeah I mean these are super high level they're not anything that 
uh, is going to set the world on fire, but read your target publication cover to cover 12 issues minimum and look at the style they use and look at what they're writing about and um, understand where there's holes in their content that you could fill. Um, and then when you send your pitch, make it hyper targeted. Don't use anything resembling a form letter. Make it, you know, personal, personable, um, and just very, very specific to that that magazine. Especially if you're writing about, like, you know, whatever your passion is, um, it shouldn't be generic. I mean, passions aren't generic. They're really specific. If it's about stamp collecting, like, you, you need to know stamp collecting inside and out, and then you need to find a topic within that um, subject area that you can really um, dive deep into and um, write about with authority. So, so the more focused and specific, yeah, the better. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, editors read million like no matter who, what the publication is or who they are, they read a ton of pitches. So if you can solve all the problems for them and you can be like, I've thought through this and I've thought through that and I've thought through this, like they would love it if they could see a complete package. Like, so paint them a picture that's as full as you can of what you think the article should be like. Having said that, if they come back to you and they want to go a different angle with it, definitely just leave your ego aside and say, okay, yeah, great. Whatever you say, I'll write about that. Um, I mean, that's incredibly high level, but I think it, it has like worked for me or it did work for me. And then I kind of took the same attitude once um, I started writing for this publishing company that I applied to my freelance work for technology clients. And that is just always over deliver, like never, ever be late. And if you can be a week early and, um, you know, when, when you communicate with them, always be positive, like be the nicest person they get an email from that day and um, think about all the things that could be pain points for them. So like you do this article on a niche topic, when you email them, they copy, say, I've thought about some images and I've managed to source some free artwork. Um, just go above and beyond all the time. I mean, they're so busy and they, they, they are paying you literally to take their pain away. So do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of things that you have written for and the sort of clients that you have written for in, on the surfing side of things? Um, yeah, yeah. So the publishing company I worked for is called Orca Publishing and it's in Newquay, which is the capital of the surfing universe in the UK. So I guess that's not the universe. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, and I just did articles for them um, on topics that are important, I guess, to girls who surf. Um, so that's niche in itself. Yeah, super niche. Yeah, there's like five people who probably read it. Um, <laughs> and then they also publish books. So they asked me to repurpose some of the articles I had written um, to go into books. And then they asked me to do copywriting for a series of cookbooks that they did that um, center on a cafe that's at a surf break in Ireland. So yeah, that's what I did for them. I did write for other publications during that kind of journalism phase of my career but that was like my main surfing client was Orca. And does writing about your passion is it as fun as much fun as it sounds or is it still just basically a writing job? I mean I think it is fun especially for me because I work in a really like my day-to-day -day is so dry it's great to be able to do something that's even remotely creative is great and something related to a topic that I actually care about is great. So yeah, for me, it's 
it's got many positives. I think on the downside, anything you do that's creative is less well-paid than what you might be able to do that's corporate. And that just is what it is. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. But for me, I feel like I have limited time. Like, I don't have all the time in the world um, because I'm very busy sleeping and surfing. So when I just look at my day, how can I make it the most productive I can make it? It was not that hard for me to put my more creative pursuits to the side and pursue the better paid stuff. Having said that, like every day, I think, what could I be doing that would be a little bit more creative? So (laughs) I may revisit that balance. Well, I still think doing marketing for tech firms, there is an element of creativity in there, in that you're having to think Mm -hmm. differently from how the client is thinking and bring something extra. They probably think you're very creative. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I definitely think that there are limitations to the level of creativity you can bring. But um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I don't think it hurts to do both. I don't think it hurts your writing to do both. I think that you should be writing like a person, no matter who you're writing for. So um, when you work in something that's really dry, so maybe you, you work in academia or you work in technology or you work in medical writing, I don't know. It's good to stretch your muscles and do stuff that's more creative because it informs um, that kind of technical writing. At the same time, I think technical writing has to be really clean and you can't use like 7,000 adjectives, you know? And so it makes, maybe it makes your creative writing stronger. So um, having a mix is no bad thing. On the topic of writing, I just want to finish with my quickfire round, where I dig into your own writing process and habits. So are you game? Sure, of course. What fuels your writing? Coffee, tea or something stronger? Coffee. Pretty (laughs) certain about that. (laughs) We've recently acquired a new coffee maker. It's like, it's, I think it's improved my work. I think I know the answer to this because you've already touched on this. When do you like to write? Are you a lark or an owl? I, th- I guess I'm a lark. I don't, are larks early morning? Okay, yeah, I'm a lark. <laughs> are you a planner or a plunger? Do you draft a detailed outline or do you dive right in? Oh, I, gosh, in all areas of my life, I'm a, I plan in advance, except in writing. I'll just dive right in. Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Oh, you could eat your dinner off my desk. It's pristine. Music or silence? Silence. Who's your favourite writer? I am going to struggle here. I feel like I like specific books more than any one writer. I have gone on binges of certain writers. For example, I read all of the Ian Fleming James Bonds. Like, I'll, I like to set myself a task and read every single thing in the, in the set. Finally, your best writing tip. Oh, I have a tip. <laughs> I have a tip. Share it. (laughs) I feel like um, it's two things you can do. One is read all the time and don't feel guilty about it. The more you understand about how language is put together, um, the more you can do a good job putting it together. And listen, the way that people talk is exactly the way that you want to write. So have your ears open um, and surround yourselves with articulate people and try and um, learn from from not only what they're saying, but how, how they're saying it. Shannon Denny, thank you. It's been delightful. I have so enjoyed it. Thank you. If you 
enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. Visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. I've been your host, Claire Lynch. Goodbye till the next episode.